Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast, episode 25, coming to you the week after Super Bowl 49. Um, I guess I have to address the Super Bowl. Um, it's already been beaten to death as we overanalyze the game going into the game, and then we overanalyze it going out of the game. So real quick, uh, Pete Carroll, moronic decision, blah, 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 blah. Game over. Patriots win. They're Super Bowl champs. Uh, I, I don't want to belabor the point. But one thing I do want to get into, I, I'm not an NFL analyst. I'm not going to get into the game and, you know, whether or not the, the Seahawks should have run or passed or anything. They did what they did. They lost. Uh, with regards to the, the criticism, though, of the Super Bowl in general, this is the thing that really blew my mind. The Super Bowl isn't just about a game anymore. This is not just about the two best NFL teams or the two teams that made it through the tournament playing for the Super Bowl trophy. Uh, it has changed over the years, and at some point in time, um, probably around the, the 80s and early 90s, this went from being a game to a national event. And the event now is the biggest television event we have in America. And it's not just about the game on the field. It's about commercials. It's about who's singing the national anthem. It's about the halftime show. Um, it's about everything going on before the game, leading up to the game. It's almost like the game has become secondary. And then there's the event that happens in our own homes where people are, you know, we have pools, we have people with boxes and who has what numbers. Uh, and I even posted on Facebook um, as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan and someone who went to a Super Bowl and I got to see my Steelers beat the Cardinals uh, a couple years back. Uh, I don't care who wins the game. I'm not a Patriot or a Seahawks fan. As long as my boxes win, I'm happy. I'm more concerned with the fact I'm trying not to gain five pounds at the Super Bowl party I'm at, eating and picking at all the food around me. So with regards to the game itself, I think there's so much other stuff going on that it's not about the game anymore. And and in fact, you know, you look at Super Bowl Sunday, you know, the football season seemingly from September all the way up to the Super Bowl seems to be a very guy-dominated thing. And I'm not trying to be misogynistic. I'm not saying that there's not women out there that are football fans. But it's a very guy-kind-of-oriented thing. Super Bowl Sunday is an event. And it's an event that really the entire family gets around. And I've always thought Super Bowl Sunday and the following Monday should be treated as a national holiday because it really is our thing. It's our thing in this country. Um, the the criticism of the Super Bowl, the halftime show. I, I've never seen so many people get crazy over a halftime show as they did this year. Katy Perry is getting destroyed over her performance. And I'm, my question is, what did you people expect her to do that she didn't do? She's Katy Perry. She went out, she sang her top songs, and it's like people are going insane over this, you know, as, as if, I don't, I don't know what she did or didn't do or what you expected her to do, but, it, you know, it was what it was, and people are like, oh, my God, she's lip-syncing. Okay, well, if she's lip-syncing, you have to understand what this is. This is the biggest event in television that we have. More people watch this event 
than anything else on our TV, maybe except for the Oscars. And I think this Super Bowl surpassed anything we've ever had in our history. So she goes out, she does a couple songs, and that's it. I, I don't know what you're expecting her to do. And if she's lip syncing, it's because they can't take a chance on her screwing up. There's too much at stake. I don't happen to think she was lip syncing. If she was, she did a great job lip syncing. I mean, oh my God, American Idol is nothing more than a karaoke contest, but somehow Katy Perry's performance offended everybody. People were getting hung up on the the big golden cat that she came out on. And I actually saw one one somebody on uh, Simone on, on Fox 5 say, She's holding the reins of the cat. And, and really, did you need to hold the reins? We all know it's not a real line. I mean, wow. That's where the criticism is going to the fact that she was mimicking holding the reins of this giant cat. And was it necessary? Oh, my God. We're such nitpicky people in this country. And then Missy Elliott, for some reason, blew her off the stage. I don't know what Missy Elliott did that was so much more special than what Katy Perry did or what John Legend did or what anybody did in terms of a Super Bowl performance. It is what it is. That's it. Get over it. It's a halftime show, part of a spectacle. Enjoy it for what it is. Here was the other thing people were going nuts over, the commercials. People were just, the nationwide commercial with the kid that's dead. Oh, my God, it was so depressing. Depressing. Was it really that depressing? You mean to tell me you're at a Super Bowl party, you watch that commercial, and between all the food and the people you're surrounded by and everything going on, you mean the, the party came to a crashing halt and you were actually depressed? Oh, stop it. My God. What is going on in this country that it's always about ripping something apart? We, we always have to critique things. Everything is about the criticism of it. Listen, enjoy it for what it is. It's a game. And for people the next day to go nuts over, oh, my God, the Patriots were handed that Super Bowl. They shouldn't have won it. They won. Get over it. And you know what? People that are Patriot fans, you have bragging rights. Okay, you get to buy a T-shirt that says Super Bowl champions. Next year when you go to games, you get to say how your team is the champion. And, and you know, But this whole, we won. We won the champ. No, you don't win anything. Your team won, okay? You happen to be a fan of the team, and that's it. You didn't get a bonus check. You don't get anything more other than the pleasure of watching your team win and to tell other people, the other 31 groups of fans out there, we won it last year. I mean, you know, come on, be an adult about this. It's fun. You get bragging rights. You know, but the criticism and the, the all of the commotion around this event is again, I we really are a bunch of babies in this society and we're always ripping something apart, which kind of leads me into where I'm going with this podcast. And one of the things that I wanted to do in this podcast and I promised all of you that I would do this year and that is bring you guests. And I, I saw the movie American Sniper uh, this past weekend. And there's a lot of, again, criticism going into this movie about whether or not Chris Kyle is a hero, should be held to a hero standard 
as someone who was in the armed services and you know fulfilled his role apparently very well or whether or not we shouldn't put someone like that on a pedestal because in the end you know he's and I hate to use this word an an, an assassin in the line of his work and I've I've seen the the back and the forth and of course Seth Rogen chimed in on it and 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 made a comment that was misplaced and you know other people are defending Chris Kyle and our armed forces and rather than me jump into this thing as a layperson I figured it would be great to have members of the armed services give me their impression of this so I promise you guests and I'm going to bring you guests now I also made a promise to these members of the armed forces that I would respect their privacy and protect their identity. So I'm not going to use their names. I'm going to refer to them um, with initials. And that's, you know, for me to follow through with them and protect their identity. So uh, it is my pleasure to have as a first guest on the Vince August podcast, um, someone who served this country and is going to give me an honest opinion about not only American Sniper, how it relates as a movie to the general public, but how a service person relates to the movie. And, and you know, I don't want to get into the blood and gore about what the war is. I want to know, you know, what the soldiers that served feel about the film, their reaction. Um, you know, is it a reminder? Is it a trigger mechanism? And, you know, get get into what these service people are feeling so ladies and gentlemen it's a pleasure for me to have bt on the line and to discuss this again thank you for joining me on the podcast um i've been looking forward to this interview since you agreed to do it so um i I can't thank you enough for being on the show thanks for having me um did you see the movie american sniper i'm I'm sure you did What was your initial reaction to the movie? And I don't mean as a critic who, you know, is watching the movie and, and you know, criticizing it as a, a piece of film, but just emotionally, what was your reaction to that film? Um, well, I was, I was very excited about the movie um, originally because I, uh, I read the book, but I also read, there were a couple of New Yorker pieces about uh, Mr. Kyle and sort of talked a little bit more about motivations, and so I was really interested in him as a, as a person. Um, and then when I saw the movie, I knew Clint Eastwood had a good reputation for doing really accurate movies, um, accurate war movies. Um, he made, I think it was Letters from Iwo Jima, and he also made uh, Flags of Our Fathers, both of which were, were really good movies, and I thought pretty accurate. Um, and I was also excited because I was, actually in the same city as uh, Chris Kyle was. I was in Ramadi, um, albeit a little bit later, I think, than when he was there. And, and um, just about a year later. And um, just to give everyone perspective, um, wh- when did you enlist in the service? Okay, so um, I actually joined, I actually went to West Point. Um, I went the, let's see, 2001 is when my freshman year was. So one of the points of the movie is when he first, uh, in the first scenes of the movie, is he's watching the Twin Towers get hit um, on 9-11. And that was actually something that sort of rang home for me because 
my freshman year, I had just started at West Point, and the Twin Towers um, got hit maybe a month or two into my studies there. Um, so it was sort of like weird sort of verisimilitude between me and what Chris Kyle uh, experienced. Um, yeah, that sort of changed everything. Like, I, I don't think people understand is, um, what that did to people like me and to people like Kyle because um, there was no war before that, right? Like, when I went to, to West Point, I, I assumed I would be going to Bosnia someday or maybe I would be doing some kind of peacekeeping mission. Right. And, and Chris Kyle, when he joined, you know, he talked about serving his country, but nobody had any idea what that meant. You know, there was no, there was no conflict. There was no enemy. Like, we, the Russians were basically, you know, done, and nobody thought anybody was going to rise up to challenge us. So um, it was like a, a good awakening when that happened. And at that point, for you, at the same time, you're in what, what amounts to West Point, which is, a, you know, a top military academy in this country. You have to go four years and finish your education before you even get into that point of service. Is that something that was a distraction? Is it something that you you know was hard to focus on, considering there was this big historic event that did lead us to a war? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way it happened was very strange because I was actually in chemistry class when somebody ran into the classroom and said the Twin Towers have just been hit by a plane. The teacher says, okay, put on the TV. We put on the TV. And we watched the towers were on fire, and the teacher said, okay, um, that's really sad, but that's why we're here. So everybody turn off the TV and go back to uh, working on your chemistry problem. Wow. And it was, it was a weird thing because these guys were, you know, they expected us to just get back to work and just keep, keep focusing. And then when the towers collapsed, that's when all hell broke loose because then it sort of dawned on them, hey, you know, we could be very well be the next target. Uh, we were only, you know, 90 miles away, or less, actually, like 60 miles away from New York City. Right. Uh, the point where you could actually see the smoke um, coming from, you know, Manhattan. And uh, it was just, it was crazy. Like, the whole, it was like the whole next two months were in a complete fog. Like, the, the football game was, was almost canceled. You know, the security, there was no security on military bases um, before that. You know, I mean, they had some. They had cadets guarding the military post. Right. And that's don't have weapons. You know, they're just, they check your ID and they let you through the gate. And then after that happened, you know, the, basically they brought in the National Guard. They were they were going to try and come up the Hudson River. And it was just a very sort of surreal experience. So and, now, uh, yeah. So now you, you finish your four years. And at that point, you know, normally there's a question uh, for a cadet or anyone who graduates Annapolis, you know, where your service is going to be. Um, this is a different situation. You finish your four years, and I'm sure you have a pretty good idea of where you're going. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, uh, we all knew, especially when Iraq kicked off. Um, I mean, the, the Taliban sort of collapsed pretty quickly, like right after, right after we unloaded on them. And so we kind of thought that it would all wind down pretty quickly. We were, we were thinking that might happen. And then when Iraq invasion kicked off, you know, things went well at first, and then you know, holy crap, things aren't going so well. And it just sort of spiraled and got worse and worse. And so we knew that's probably where most of us were going to be headed. All right, um, so so when do you actually get deployed? So I got deployed, I did 15 months there. Um, 
I went on New Year's Day, or the day after New Year's of 2007, and I came back in May of 2008. So, like 15 months, actually close to 16 months. Straight. Yeah, straight. Wow. Um, and let me ask you this, as someone who went to West Point and you're, you know, you're doing your four years at what point, if any point, does the politics of your service enter your mind, leave your mind? Was it ever part of your mindset when you were heading there? of the scenes that was very moving to me and you know I'm, I'm relating it to your story now getting there in 2007 is I, I see when Chris Kyle sees his brother um, getting onto the plane coming back home and his brother is obviously disturbed and you know he wants to get out of Iraq when you get into Iraq in 2007 and you encounter, you know, the, the troops that are already there, what was their reaction to you and your reaction to them? Well, when we got there, we were actually replacing a, uh, it was a uh, unit that was coming out of Germany. And so we were learning their jobs, and they were teaching us their jobs. And uh, it wasn't that kind of, it wasn't that moment in the movie where, you know, they were glassy-eyed and, um, you know, clearly suffering from PTSD, but it was definitely, there was a sense of, we can't wait to get out of here, good luck, that sort of thing. Right. uh, So I I actually, I have two brothers who who went to West Point as well, and um, one of them actually didn't deploy um, because he he was a boxer, like a competitive Olympic level boxer, so he did that for the Army, but the other other brother was a, uh, a helicopter pilot. So, I mean, I got to kind of experience a little of that. And then, you know, I ran into a lot of classmates while I was over there. Um, and some of them, yeah, some of them had that, that experience. Um, you could tell they were changed, for sure. And and let me ask you, you know, right outright, I mean, did you notice a change in you over the course of time from January to the following May? I mean, you're you're there for a lot of time. Um, you know, yeah. do you start noticing a change in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely. 
very religious. And then when I went over there, I I lost that about myself. I I'm not religious anymore. No, um, that's that's to me is is a really interesting point. Um, it, is that something that there was a defining moment, or did it just slowly slip away? I think it was just a, a series of events, and um, it started before I got there, and uh, you know, it just sort of compounded on itself. And um, you know, I mean, I I didn't have the severe um, symptoms that a lot of people have, but like if I heard a dumpster outside of my apartment, if it, if it got placed down on the ground with a loud boom, I would jump, you know, or if I heard thunder at night, one time I woke up, you know, thinking that we were under attack. And, um, I don't know, I've, I've had a girlfriend or a couple who said, I would get up in the middle of the night and have like a night terror and just like run around the room. And, I mean, I've had that. I don't, it doesn't affect my daily life because some people, some people, you know, have it much, much worse than I did. Uh, but I don't think there's any way you can avoid that sort of thing um, if you're over there, you know. You know, I, I've had the the pleasure, the, the benefit, the you know, whatever you want to call it, to perform at some of the bases. And one of the things I've noticed in talking to the troops is there's definitely a period of adjustment when you get home and it's it's with your family as well as society in general and a lot of what i get from the people that have served is the fact that you're not around your unit anymore and you're around you know even though it's family or you know a new job there doesn't seem to be the bond that you had with the guys in your unit did you experience that as well yeah, I think it was um, it was the bond, but also it was just the, the understanding. Um, it was just being in sort of game mode all the time. Like when you come home, you know, I was I was short with people. I didn't have sort of the patience for things that I did before I went. And I just seemed sort of gray, like uh, for lack of a better word, just kind of I don't know. Um, you know, not everything was kind of dull in a way, in a sense. I mean, like life lacked a certain, you know, essence or spice to it, you know, that it used to have. Um, And I don't know, I think it was just because it was weird for me to just be sitting around and hanging out and not having to worry about something or not having to do something. It was just a routine, too. I mean, just get used to a certain rhythm and a routine for a long time and being around certain people, and then all of a sudden you're just sort of thrust back into society, you know. You know, one of the weird things that I'm noticing with this war and really it with Hollywood and, and with television, there's this weird parallel happening that movies are being made about an ongoing war that you would think rather than make a movie about it, you know, we, we would just have more coverage. I mean, there really didn't seem to be coverage of the war and, you know, not to take anything away from Hurt Locker not to take anything away from from this film, but are we misrepresenting this war through Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I talk about a lot um, to anyone who cares to listen is uh, nobody even knows what's going on over there right now. Right, and and the only... It seems like the only knowledge we have is through these limited stories. I mean, you know, I read the book No Easy Day, 
we had the situation with Pat Tillman. Now we have this Chris Kyle movie. It, it seems to be that the only place we're getting it from is Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, it's like, I say this a lot, like, who knows what's going on over there? I mean, every once in a while you'll hear two guys were killed or a suicide bombing happened. I mean, it's almost like people are just, are, they've already assumed it's done or they're just waiting for it to wind down so they can move on to something else or there's still thousands of people over there. And, and, and how is it being misrepresented? I mean, you know, BT, give it to me straight. I mean, are we? What are we misportraying, or what are we missing here in this country that's happening there? Well, it's hard to explain. I mean, one of the things that was really weird to me is that when I got out of the military, I uh, I went to law school for a year, and um, I was surrounded by people who were they were def- most of them were younger, you know, a few years younger than me because. You know, they didn't serve in the military. They might have college or whatever. But aside from that, even the ones that had worked for a few years and, and went to law school, none of them, it was weird. It was like talking to people who had watched all, like it was on a movie, like you're talking about. Like, they didn't have this fear. Like, they didn't have this giant, like, looming over them, like like all my classmates did. Right. You know, for, them, for them, it might as well have been a movie. Like, there was no... There was no reality to it. Like, none of them were ever going to have to step foot anywhere near any of those places. You know, they could just watch it on TV or they could just turn the TV off. Right. It's strange to think that I had almost nothing in common with these people, even though we were peers or only separated by a few years, you know? Yeah, and, you know, one of the things for me that is troublesome about American Sniper is that there seems to be this approach, whether or not Chris Kyle is a hero for the fact that he served and served well or you know are we trying to glorify you know that one type of person in the war who was a sniper and had all these kills and you know my reaction again to being around soldiers on bases is none of you like the word hero yeah absolutely i mean even i'm sure i don't even think chris kyle used that word for you probably, you know, accepted it reluctantly. I don't I don't remember hearing anything that would say that he embraced the word hero or I don't know anyone that ever called himself a hero, even even some of the most heroic people you'll ever meet, you know. Right. I mean it it seems to be that from again, this is just me and, and correct me if I'm wrong, when when you're there serving, you have your daily routine, you have your mission, and it's it's just part of your job. It's just your job. Yeah, it seems it seems childish. I mean, it's, it's something that it's, that someone who has no idea about the stakes would say, you know. And and for the people that are watching this movie and you know holding Chris Kyle up to this hero standard and and look at 
you know, our military and, and hold them up to a, a, this high standard, um, you know, that they're basically thrust into something that, and there's all kinds of questions about the war in Iraq as opposed to war in Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, now the different missions going on. I mean, t tell me as a person who served in the military, you know, how do you want to be viewed as by society? I know it's, it's it's a tough question because, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. asking, you know, if someone asked me, you know, how do you want to be viewed as a comic? Well, just somebody who makes people laugh. <laughs> you know, I don't want that's to be, a, yeah. if, if I become a celebrity, great, that's part of it. But in the end, I just want to be able to do my job and make a living doing it. Right. Yeah, I think, um, I think I'm almost more comfortable talking about how I'd like to see the other soldiers be perceived. And that, um, you know, these guys, I, I, I've given speeches that they're, some of the real ceremonies and stuff, and I sort of say the same thing every time. You know, these guys stood with us. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they stood up when people wanted something done. Um, when those towers went down, you wanted somebody to go over there and do your dirty work. You wanted somebody to go over there and uh, and then and do what the Constitution and what the President and the Congress all agreed needed to be done. And if it wasn't them, it was going to be someone else. You know, and and they stood up so that other people didn't have to. Um, and so if you don't agree with the mission or the wars or whatever, I mean, that's fine. Um, but these guys are an arm of our government. You know, they're, they're a hammer. And sometimes you got to use the hammer, and, and that's what happened. And, um, you know, they, they, did, they did their jobs, and I, I'm, I'm really uh, proud of the guys I served with. They, they all would have, you know, followed me into hell, and I would have followed them into hell, too. Let me ask you this. Um, give me the, the biggest positive and negative from your time in the service as far as how it's affected you as a person in life. Uh, and, I'm, I, you know, again, I'm not talking about just seeing the, the tragedy uh, there, but just, you know, how it's either prepared you for something in life or how it's hurt you moving forward in life. You know, BT, I'm so glad that you made that point. And I'll tell you, having done this podcast now for a couple of months and, you know, a lot of people expect me to take the comical route because of my background. And what I instead did was I try to use my law degree, you know, and my background, having served as a judge, um, you know, having a teaching certificate to try to bring more awareness. And the one thing that I've noticed is with my podcast, people seem to like 
the entertainment and the lighter stuff more and the heavy stuff, you know, like what we're talking about now seems to kind of be, uh, you know what? Yeah, that's, that's heavy. I just want to go about my daily routine and not focus on that. As again, someone who served, someone who's worn that flag on their arm, is that frustrating for you? Of course. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't come home every day and just put on the BBC and just you know drown you know sit and be depressed. I mean, there's right. no, definitely no way you can do that. And, and oh no, listen, we we all need laughter in life. Right. Exactly. And laughter is, is like when you make someone laugh, you give them a bit of a vacation, right? Like Winston Churchill. So there's definitely time a time and a place, but it's great. Um, but this notion of but this notion of ignoring. You know, what's going on in the Middle East? Right, and, and that's the thing. I mean, if people if people watch the news, I mean, this is, this is part of my problem, right? Like, if you watch the news, you can't help but be depressed, right? Like, if you watch the BBC, if you watch some of the international news stations where they do a little bit better job of covering what's going on in the world instead of, you know, the shout fest that you get on our cable news, you know, you see what ISIS is doing. You see these these horrible massacres, you know, the Pakistani school where 150 kids were just gunned down, you know, the, the mall in Nigeria where they just gunned down a whole bunch of people and, um, you know, Ukraine and Chechnya before that. And it's just it's an endless cycle of just horrible violence. Um, and, you know, like I said, you can't dwell on it, otherwise you'll never leave your house. But at the same time, you should probably pay attention to it. You know, I'm I'm so glad you said that because I say that over and over in my podcast. You know, I watch every day an hour of international news just to see, you know, what the rest of the world is watching. And then I watch a half hour of Fox, a half hour of CNN before I kind of catch up on, you know, all of the Internet stuff. And it's amazing how the world watches world events differently from the way we do. Having been overseas, having served, how are we portrayed by the rest of the world? At least where you've been. Um, you know, it's, I actually lived in Germany too, so like it's part of the military. So um, I got that benefit too to see how the Germans and the Italians see us. Actually, we're we're portrayed quite favorably. People, you know, you might get the impression that people don't like us, but. Actually, they, they seem to like us quite a bit. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's no one that has, like, well, you know, Americans tend to focus on the wrong thing. There is some of that. Um, but generally, they were pretty well perceived. I mean, this is, this is a great country. Like, it really is. Like, I lived in Germany, which is also a really nice country. And, you know, I, get, I traveled around Europe, and I'm, I'm, people... America short, like this has a lot of great things that no other country, even in Europe, has. Right. Uh, just the convenience level of everything, the way people like are very fair. Um, I have a black friend, not to get too into the weeds here, but I have a black friend and um, who I live with in Germany, and everywhere we we went in these small villages, people would stare at her. I mean, it was very weird. I mean, and, you know, in Europe, I mean, they have a long way to go with some of these issues. And in America, people are very fair and they're very, they're very, you know, giving. And I think, um, 
think other people do recognize that. Well, you know what? One of the things I, I say all the time is when you look at our country, we, we are the true mutt country in the world. We, we are the melting pot. And when you look at these other countries like Egypt, you know, all of the countries in, in Africa that are going through their civil wars, you know, those are all of the same people fighting each other. It's not like there's, you know, all these different nations that make up their population and they're having a ton of internal strife. Here, we're, we're you know, 300 plus million really mixed together. And when you consider the, the limited amount of, of mass violence, it's, it's really incredible. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, like, if you went, if you go, I don't know if you watch soccer, but... Oh, I'm a huge international soccer fan. Yeah, okay, so you know, like, there's a huge problem with, like, skinheads and, you know... Oh, the hooligans. Yeah, hooligans, and even in Italy they have skinhead sections. I mean, imagine if, you know, the Seattle Seahawks had skinhead sections. Like, it it wouldn't even exist. Right, all hell would break loose. It's preposterous, right? And, like, France, I mean, Paris Saint-Germain is known for having, you know, violent hooligans who don't like minorities and I mean I think America has done a really good job of moving ahead of you know a lot of the Western world on these issues. You know? Well I mean just taking your example there, you know, you look at the Italian national team, one of their best players, if not their best player, is Mario Balotelli, who is is black and even in Italy, you know, there are some people that have criticism of him simply because of his skin color. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this sort of sense that you can't be a real Italian unless you're white and your parents were born in Italy. And, you know, unlike here, where if you come from another country, you can be a real American if you identify and you know, with America and you know, pass the citizenship test and all that. All right. I, I want to give you the, the last word on this thing. Um, I mean, if if there's a message you want people to know about you and I, when I say you, I mean you're in you in the plural sense, um, as someone who served and has come back and, and you're adjusting and and now assimilated to society. What would it want it? To, what would you want it to be? What's the message? You know, I think, um, I think the greatest message I have is I don't like I don't like how the media portrays soldiers. Um, and by this, I mean whenever you hear about veterans, what do you hear about? You hear about two things. One, they're either suffering from PTSD and they're crazy, or two, they're violent rapists, right? Like, this is another issue, rape in the military. We hear these two, these two sides, uh, these two, you know, separate things, and this is, this is how they frame us. And, um, and then another thing you hear, you're either being pitied or you're being feared, right? There's another, there's another side where, oh, well, a lot of these guys, they couldn't go to college, they, you know, this was their last resort in the military, and... Um, I worked with a lot of them, and most of them were really smart guys, and they were really talented guys, and they didn't all come from the best homes and the best families, but if they had, someone had taken them under their wing and given them guidance, a lot of them could have gone to great colleges, um, and they were loyal, and they worked really hard, and a lot of them, they just want a chance when they get out. You know, they're not looking for pity, and they're not going to violence and freak out on you because they're PTSD. Um, even if they do have PTSD, a lot of them, most of them learn how to control it. They, they, they're doing therapy or taking medicine. Um, so, you know, don't judge them based on how the media often betrays them. 
give them a chance, let them talk to you and talk to them and, and you know, just, um, you know, give them, a, give them a shot at a new life once they get out. You know, it's so great that you said that because as I left the theater, um, I found myself thinking about Chris Kyle as as a person, and I I felt bad for him, and you know, and I didn't want to because on the one hand, like you said, you know, you you don't want to pity a guy who went there, did his job, and was very committed to it, and was doing it well. You know, so that's not a person that you pity because he he had a mission and he achieved it. Um, but yet at the same time, you know, to come home and not be able to just be with his wife and kids in a, you know, and what, what the hell is normal these days? You know, it's, I, I really was struggling with that because I, I really felt bad for his wife. I felt bad for his kids, not at the point where he was murdered, you know, at the point where he was home. And, and I was kind of struggling with that. Yeah. What I don't like about this whole controversy is there's people that try to cherry pick things out of this book. Right. You know, things that he said that weren't necessarily politically correct. Okay. You know, calling the Iraqis certain names that would definitely sound insensitive at best. Um, the thing is, like, another thing that I want to point out is you cannot judge this man unless you've walked in his shoes. Like, you just cannot know what it's like look down the scope and pull that trigger. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. Um, you can't look at him through the lens of somebody that's never been there and say, well, you're a racist, or you're a murderer, or you're this, or you're that. Like, he had a job he was told to do. He did it, and, and just because he says certain things, you don't know what's going on in his psyche. You don't know how it's affected him. You don't know what's going on in his heart, you know? And I really don't like this sort of and guessing that a lot of people on both sides of the political spectrum do and you try to ascertain what his real motives were and what his real, you know, whether he was secretly a racist or secretly a bloodthirsty guy. I mean, you just cannot, you can't judge him like that. You know, it's it's great that you're saying it because I'm going to take this, what you just said, and bring it down to a level that is completely out of the realm of life and death. And I said before I had you on, you know, I was talking about the Super Bowl and how people, you know, watched the Super Bowl and said, you know, I would have run the ball in that situation. I would have done this. I would have done that. And Pete Carroll is a moron and Pete Carroll is this. And he ruined the game. And I said, you know what? Think about how many times in your life you had more than 35 seconds to make a decision and you made a bad decision. Kind of like, I don't know, the people that get married and wind up divorced which is half of the people, you know, how many times you've gone to college and picked the wrong major and wound up spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a degree and said, wow, you know, what was I thinking picking that? So, you know what? We all make these decisions that we've had a ton of time to think about. Yeah, but here's a guy who's got 35 seconds and, you know, given the situation, that's what he thought at the moment and everyone's going to jump on him and crush him. And you know what? Hey, it was his decision. You know, it's easy to second guess anybody in life. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's just add into the fact that most of the time when these decisions are made, you're paralyzed with fear. Um, it, an analogy that I, I like to use is try driving a car when you're on heroin or morphine, right? Like, 
you know the rules of the road, you know how to operate that car, even when you're high, but you're not going to drive that car very well. Like, if you're lucky, you'll stay within the lines. That's what it's like to be that paralyzed with fear. There's there's definitely a, a chemical shift in your body that you can't control, you know? I mean, you can do your best to manage it, but, um, you know, it is what it is, you know? You know what? There's, there's no better way to end this interview than on that quote. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's perfect. Um, so I want to thank you. I mean, this was an amazing 45, I can't believe that was 45 minutes already, but, uh, I I can't thank you enough for being part of this, um, for giving me awareness and, and everyone listening. And of course, as I say to everyone, you know, thank you for your service. Uh, it's, you know, it's what makes this country better than the countries that you lived in as a service person and you saw it and, and we really are lucky in this country and, and we're lucky to have people that protect it. And, you know, for whatever reason, people enlist and, and do what they do. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I, and I can't thank you enough for all of it. Well, Ron, thank you for those words. And I really enjoy all your success. Um, enjoy following you and congratulations. And, um, I'd love to see you next show when I learn from New York. And, uh, I think you're hilarious. All right. Stay on the phone. Uh, I'm going to wrap up this segment. Um, Everyone, again, uh, BT was our guest on the show, and I'm protecting his identity as as he requested. Um, A a great podcast. Uh, I'm so proud to be able to do this and and bring some enlightenment. Um, There's going to be a part two of American Sniper podcast coming up. I have another member who will be joining me from the armed services, a different perspective maybe, maybe the same. Um, Please spread the word. Vince August Podcast, everyone, thank you for joining me and looking forward to another great show.